Welcome, welcome to Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. I'm Gorf. I'm Kevin. So Kev, who are we talking to today? Well, today, Gorf, we are talking to Kerry Naschenberg. He was the co-inventor of Norch Antivirus. He's been principal engineers at Google, uh, now at Lit, and at the same time, he's been a professor uh, at UCLA teaching students about programming. He's also filed over a hundred patents and has been rock climbing for over twenty years. He was—he's won many awards, like the Wall Street Journal's 2010 Technology Innovation Award, and、um, he's been featured on Computer World's 40 Under 40 Innovative IT People to Watch. We were really excited to have him this week because, at his core, he is a principal engineer. He's a highly technical and insanely smart person, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about. The soft skills that engineers need to move up companies, and how important storytelling has been to his career and personal development. But first, let's get into learnings. Okay, Kev. So, what have you learned since the last time we got behind the mic? Well, I have been improving my efforts and reaching out to people.、Uh, I don't have a strong network. Previously,、um, so for us to get、uh, more guests onto our podcast,、uh, there's gotta be a lot of first-time reaching outs,、um, you know, cold messaging and all that.、Um, it's a little bit outside my comfort zone, but I'm trying to、um, improve in that. You know, it goes kind of back to what Larry was saying about being bold, and especially、uh, getting these initial guests. Was a little challenging too because、uh, we didn't have a podcast yet, so we were just trying to get people to talk to us and take a shot on this brand new podcast that could very well fail. So I mean, it's been an interesting process, but like Kevin said, getting better at outreaching, being bold, mass messaging, telling people, and storytelling about our podcast about storytelling, getting people excited about the idea, excited to be one of our guests, is something we both really worked on. So if you're listening to this and you, you you're working on something that needs collaboration, it needs buy-in. The more excited you can get about your story, the more excited other people can get. So practice telling your story, be ambitious, and that's the key to outreach. Don't you think, Kev? Absolutely. So Kev, you ready to get started with today's episode with Carrie Nachenberg? Let's get started. Woot woot. To start us off,、uh, what is your story? So, what is my story?、Um, I started out、uh, as a pretty dopey kid.、Um, in second grade, my mom had me tested for my, you know, my IQ to see if I needed special classes because I just seemed really slow,、um, and that stuck with me for a long time. And I think it still sticks with me. Like, still makes me feel in, in inferior, inferior, insecure in some cases when I learn more slowly.、Um, But、uh, and I think that it in, impacted my childhood because I just I didn't like reading. I just didn't like things where I had to learn. And finally, my dad, when I was eleven, got me a computer. And I don't think he actually had high expectations for me because he bought a fifty-dollar computer. It was like a used, not used, but you know, like five-year-old computer that nobody really wanted. And he figured if it didn't work out, he could throw it away. I think what was exciting about that was I got to start programming and learning things on my own without anybody. 
forcing me to do it in a time range, you know, a particular time range or by a particular time or taking tests. And so I could just go at my own pace and learn. And I think I learned about myself is that uh, if I can learn slowly and take my time, I can really get things and then I can, I'm okay. It's just that I'm not fast. And so that from year 11 through, through high school, I knew that computers were my thing. Uh, I did some volleyball in there. I played some baseball in junior high. I was in right field. I wasn't very good. Um, I don't think I ever caught a ball. <laughs> I don't know if I ever hit one either, um, actually successfully. And then, uh, you know, college did computer science because that was the thing, only thing I could do or knew, knew how to do. And then uh, I took a job with a company I had been interning with, which was Semantic Norton, because um, they knew me and they trusted me. And again, I had this inferiority thing like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do well somewhere else and they're paying me more. So might as well go where they know me. And that went on. 21 years or so. Um, started teaching uh, in the middle there at 2000, which was a big, exciting thing for me. And uh, then Google for, for three, uh, three years, three and a half years, and now Lyft. And that's been my life. And I don't know what's next. That's the future, though. I don't know. Such an interesting story. I mean, something that I was really curious about is you spent 22 years or 24 years becoming an expert in cybersecurity and one of the world's leading experts. And recently you've made that transition into more autonomous vehicles through Lyft. What's similar between the roles and how has that transition been like? So what's similar, so what's similar between the roles that I had, you know, at Semantic and Google and at Lyft is that you're dealing with ambiguous problems for which there is no perfect solution. There's no right solution. It's not like you're doing an integral and there's one answer, right? Um, so it requires a lot of creativity, uh, requires a lot of collaboration um, and it's a lot of fun because you're you're tackling a problem that just nobody has solved before, at least successfully. Um, so that's what I find is sort of exciting about both fields. You're in, in one, cybersecurity dealing with an active adversary who's really trying to evade you constantly. You're always having to evolve. In the other, it's just such a difficult problem that even if you're not dealing with an active adversary, which maybe someday you will, but right now you're not. Um, it's it's uh, still you know today intractable, very difficult. Your title says principal engineer. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about what that role entails? What are your responsibilities? Sure. So, you know, principal engineers uh, differ from company to company and from role to role. You know, my role involves working with individual teams to help them make breakthroughs in particular areas. Um, so that might be, for instance, in transitioning how we do, how we solve certain problems from ways we do it now to ways we could be doing in the future, maybe leveraging machine learning uh, in order to unlock some value that we weren't unlocking because we were using a statistical robotics approach or something. As a principal engineer, you're an IC, so you can't tell anybody what to do. Nobody reports to you, so you have to work with people and encourage them or talk to them about possibilities in order to get people to sort of try new things or consider new new options. That's, that's one thing, sort of like understanding the problem well enough, understanding potential ways to go forward, understanding the company goals, which which you may be having to channel through you in order to get people to do what, what the company wants, um, and sort of moving the organization along in a particular direction. Um, one task is storytelling and presentations, like getting the team excited and energized about the strategy so that they, they're bought in and they're willing to do the work and not afraid of change, because often you're bringing a lot of change. Another big part 
uh, and it depends on the role and depends on the company, but also is sometimes building or prototyping new systems so that you can basically build a foundation or framework and then other people can come along and flesh out the details. Um, and then the final thing is also sort of outreach externally, sort of like external PR, blog posts, news interviews, media interviews, because you are senior representative of the company and presumably you can tell stories and you can share and get people excited about the technology. And that's a big part of hiring people, building a brand for the company and so on. It's interesting that something you brought up about being a principal engineer is understanding the business goal of the company and uh, storytelling. And I think the general impression about engineers is that they're usually on the receiving end of a lot of these stories. Um, so could you maybe walk us through how uh, for engineers, storytelling is important and why the technical roles should incorporate storytelling more. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, if you ever, as an engineer, want to get somebody excited about an idea you have about taking the product in a different direction, uh, then you have to learn how to tell stories. So, you know, some engineers are really content to implement whatever they're given. Okay, But when you reach a certain level, you start thinking, you know, I know how to do this better. And I think we should be going in this direction, not that direction. And if you can't convince others that your idea is the right idea, you can't you know, create a visualization in their mind that shows them that this is the right way to go, then you're never going to be able to get your ideas adopted. And you're just going to be always implementing others. So storytelling is massive, like in, in getting people excited about the possibilities of a new concept, idea, feature, re requirement. Yeah. Yeah, so getting that buy-in, especially so as oh, yeah. you lead teams, building that buy-in, especially as from an engineer mm -hmm. standpoint. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've developed that skill and how you've grown as a storyteller as you've moved up? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I really don't know how I developed the skill of storytelling. I can say that a big influence on me was my former boss at Semantic, a guy named Steve Trilling. And Steve is just an excellent storyteller. And Steve is a very interesting story. He went and studied computer science at, I think, Yale and MIT. Um, and uh, then he decided to go and be a stand-up comedian. So he literally took a break from computer science and did the circuit back east and actually did very well. I mean, he was, you know, he was booking gigs and knew all the main comedians and so on. And when I started working with him at Symantec in the late 90s, he used to just basically joke around and tell these very funny stories because part of his jokes were not just like a knock, knock, you know, he told jokes with sto stories that had backgrounds and stuff. And I found it just really, really entertaining. And so I think I tried to mimic him and, um, you know, also help develop my sense of humor. So I think that was probably part of it. Part of it is teaching. Uh, part of it was writing my book and sort of learning how to try to, you know, sort of writing and rewriting and learning how to make something exciting and interesting. At least in my, my eyes. I'm glad you brought up that you're teaching and you wrote a book. And we really want to learn about all of those things because it's amazing to us that you have done all those things and um, and the, the combination of all of those things you've done to us make you such a unique person that we want to learn more about. So why do you teach? You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I teach. I think amongst the biggest reasons are I love being a ham. So I love I love 
you know, joking around and having fun. And I can do that when I teach like a lot, you know, you can be silly. Um, I learned how to teach back in high school when I was teaching a close friend how to program for the first time. And it made me feel smart and really good. Like I was like, I was able to do something that again, remember, I didn't think I was a smart kid that great brought me self-esteem and confidence and I enjoyed it. And I, and I honed it because I wanted uh, my friend to like me and, you know, to uh, appreciate that I was helping him. So that um, was one of the big motivations for me to is teaching is just like, I became, became good at it. I, and I learned that it could help people like me and create friendships and so on. I also like helping people. I've realized, especially as I get older, that the thing that, that you will remember most, I think, and is the most important, at least to me, is helping other people. Because like the technologies you create, I did some pretty cool things when I was at Semantic. I remember, boy, back in 1997, 98, I was building a whole new component for the product that was using CPU emulators and it was, you know, detecting self-encrypting, self-decrypting computer viruses. And, you know, nobody cares about that now. The, what people care about is the impact you had in their life and, and the happiness and joy you brought them and the support and care you brought them. And so um, helping people is a big part of teaching because you can see that look on people's face when they get an idea and they like, they're excited. And then you realize that they can go and they can use that in order to make their life a little bit better, maybe help somebody else. So that's a big part of it. It's also just a nice break from day-to-day -day work. It's a different thing. So it just gives you like a you know, balance. No, I love this scene, uh, being in your classes and seeing you talk about how passionate you are. You really are about teaching and how it's such a great thing to see when you deal with different professors in different realms, uh, a professor like you that gets so involved and passionate about it. So, I mean, a big part of teaching and working cross-functionally as a technical person is taking these extremely technical concepts and kind of uh, making them relatable with analogies and things like that. How do you go about taking an extremely technical product uh, process and explaining it in a way that anyone can understand? Uh, well, first of all, it's very kind of you to say I can do that. You know, explaining difficult things in a simple way is really nice because it's a it's a it's an important skill, I think. Um, you know. Again, I'm going to just share this with you. Like, I am not a mathematician. I'm not a super brilliant guy. Like, I don't, I cannot go and do recurrence relations and I can't go and uh, I couldn't do a mathematical induction proof for you. Maybe if I could, I would start explaining computer science in, in terms and uh, approaches that were more advanced, but I can't do that. And so what I've learned how to do is sort of learn ideas and put them in words that I can understand myself. And that's what I try to do. I try to put them in words that I can understand myself that, because I believe that if I can understand it without, you know, being a rocket scientist, and I've met rocket scientists before. I've met some really smart people places like Google and Lyft. Um, but if I can explain it so that anybody can understand it and I can understand it, then I know that it'll resonate more. And I know that most people, you know, there are some people like that. I've met, you know, 1% of the people I've met are really like just rock, just brilliant, just crazy brilliant. And the other 99% is, you know, smart, but they need a little bit of help too. And the best way to explain things to them is not by using integrals and, you know, proofs. It's by you know, giving analogies and, you know, building, showing things visually and building up incrementally and so on. So that's why I try to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the art of working cross-functioning. Everyone has such different skills and they bring different things to the table. And if you can't communicate on a universal level and kind of storytell about your own division, 
you're not going to build a fully fleshed out product. Yeah, that's right. There's this notion of enrollment. I don't know if you ever heard of the term enrollment, but enrollment is this notion of getting people uh, around, sort of rallying excitement around an idea. You can tell people, this is what we're going to do, but they will not be enrolled and they'll do it grudgingly or they won't do it or they'll do what they were doing before. Enrolling is about getting them excited so that they feel a passion, this very passion that you feel and that they are now driving it down to people they work with as opposed to being told to do it and then saying, ah, we got to do this. And the best way to enroll or the best ways to enroll would be, you know, sort of developing relationships so people trust you and they're willing to try to help you and storytelling to get them excited about it. And the two are interrelated because often you develop relationships through storytelling uh, and you need storytelling to get people excited about ideas and so on as well. Kind of on that point though, what, what do you see, what are some technical innovations that you're seeing in the industry right now that you're really excited about? When you say in the industry, you mean in software, in software? Um, yeah. yeah, in software, software cars, whatever. Yeah, I, really yeah, the big, the big thing that I see coming is a transformation in healthcare. Um, hmm. So, uh, you know, through machine learning. So um, I think that machine learning is going to eat up healthcare. And the only thing that's prevented it from doing so thus far is not the right algorithms or the right neural network models. It's been access to data and comfort with sharing data with companies that could analyze it in order to, to you know, provide value. And that's starting to happen right now. And there's, you know, a thousand companies, you know, I'm maybe exaggerating, but, you know, lots of companies that are thinking about this right now, the biggest, the Googles of the world, the smallest. Um, and look, today, I believe that neural networks can, convolutional neural networks can diagnose skin cancers probably as well or better than human doctors. Okay. Um, they have... Uh, machine learning models that are statistical analysis models that can go and use a liquid biopsy, a blood, a blood sample, and tell you whether you have proteins in your blood that are associated with cancers well before you even get to stage one where it'd be detectable in your, in your, in your body as a big lump or something. Which means if you can identify cancers that early, you can basically prevent cancer because you can just you know, cure it with, with let's say, some, some drug or chemo before it gets to the point where it metastasizes and stuff, because they can cure most of cancers early. So using machine learning computing in health, it's going to change things dramatically, I think. That's the biggest thing we're going to see next 20 years. I definitely have been seeing so many really exciting kind of innovations in the healthcare market that I'm really excited to see as well. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting field. But, you know, healthcare and self-driving cars, which you work on and things like that is very personal and very um, sometimes scary for a lot of people to get on board with. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how companies like Lyft or companies like these healthcare are changing the narrative and changing the story to show off the benefits when some people are a little scared of technology in these realms? Um, that's a great question. I can't, I won't, I'll speak generally because I don't want to speak for... Mm -hmm or the company I work for, but um, yeah. um, in general, I think this is also about storytelling. Um, one of the things I, I remember seeing in some videos about, uh, you know, a number of self-driving car companies is that they tend to put a, a display in the car that shows the human what's going on. So the human is less scared. They see that the car actually sees a pedestrian or another car or a stoplight. So that they know that something's going to work 
you know, and, and they're not going to just careen through a red light, for instance. Okay. And so having, giving people an understanding again, that they can put their own words that they can understand the level they can understand it helps demystify things and make them less scary. Um, and whether it's healthcare or whether it's driving a self-driving car and seeing a display that helps you have confidence that this thing is not just a, you know, 3000 pound hunk of metal careening down the road at 30, 40 miles an hour is, is super valuable in doing that. I think we'll need more and more of that. It's going back to kind of that universal language aspect. Yeah. And enrollment, getting people on board. With yeah. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. And so, by the way, that language can be visual. It doesn't even have to be written or spoken. You know, seeing seeing a diagram or not, you know a a display that gives you confidence because you it you know that it knows what you know. You know, is enough to give you confidence that something is going to be you know it's okay. So, kind of going back to your teaching roots here. Um, or I guess your education, if you were to go back to college, what would be one course that you'd add to your curriculum that's been, that would have been very important to your career or one course you recommend engineers take that's not typical? First thing that comes to mind would be a design course. And I'm not talking about like software design. I'm talking about like industrial design or you know, understanding the consumer or user of your product and then how do you design a product that actually meets their needs and solves their problems? Uh, I think the biggest challenge that people have when they build software or hardware is that they don't, you know, when they build products, is they really don't understand what the user's needs are. And they sort of project their own understanding of the user's needs, which is usually wrong. Let's say most of the time, 95% of the time is wrong, um, which is why most startups fail, vast majority. Um, not because they can't build the software. Usually companies, for instance, can build software or hardware. They just don't build the right software or hardware that actually solves an important problem. And so uh, design courses, at least like, you know, Desma courses and so on, uh, uh, design thinking courses teach you how to understand the needs of the user and design to meet those needs. At least some of them do. And that's super valuable. I mean, that goes back to a gap we've been talking about kind of throughout this whole episode is that idea from taking the technical to the more personal and the user experience and how important it is for engineers to build that gap as they get higher up in companies. Yeah, that's super, super important. And it's, I would say, it's the biggest single gap I've seen engineers have. Like engineers who graduate from a four-year university don't know how to write unit tests. Generally, they don't learn software engineering, but you learn that in your first couple of years at a job, you know, and again, I'm, I, I work with software engineers, so I'm sorry for people listening to this or not software people, but, you know, but uh, they have nobody ever teaches them how to uh, design and design is not just about doing a nice UI or a button or putting something in the right place or using the right colors. It's about finding the right set of functionality that actually helps people solve the problems they want to solve in their life. People are trying to get from A to B, and the only reason they use a product is to help them get from A to B faster, cheaper, or more effectively. And so you could build the best product in the world that helps them get from A to C, and if it doesn't help them with what they really care about, which is getting from A to B, or it doesn't help them in a way that they can actually measure or see that's personally better, 
uh, then you'll have a failed product. And nobody thinks about that. It goes back to kind of storytelling as a whole. It's becoming more well-rounded technical person requires you to gain these soft skills. Yeah, but here's, here's, I would say storytelling is valuable, but it's not sufficient. I would say you can tell all the stories you want about a person and how they might use a product, but really discovering how they use a product or how they might use a product is a totally different skill than being able to sort of tell that story. I, I've told before I got a little bit better at uh, design thinking and I've gotten a little bit better at it. I told tons of stories. I can get people very excited with stories about how a product could work or solve a problem and even got people to go and, you know, back me on those ideas. Lots of startup founders do that. That's storytelling. That's different than understanding how to make a product that actually solves the problem. And storytelling, you can you can delude yourself into anything. That's really a different skill, but they're both important. Uh, to wrap up our episode, we have this segment called The Suspenders. Our question today is, what's the most spontaneous thing you've done lately? The first thing that comes to mind is I was visiting NorCal about a month ago. Uh, I have a place up there when I'm working up there. And um, my roommate and I wanted to take a walk. And uh, he said, you know, why don't we go and go to like take a hike or something. And, you know, like, uh, so we drove up to Shoreline. I don't know if you know where that is, but back in, up in NorCal, there's a you know, sort of near mountain view. There's a bunch of marshes and pretty places to hike and so we went and just in the middle of the night went taking taking a walk and just talking about life and so on and got pulled over by police because we weren't supposed to be there the police checked our ids and made sure that we weren't uh you know wanted and then asked where we worked and we started talking about where we worked which is apple and lyft you know level five and uh then they started having a conversation with us about like self-driving cars and microchips and stuff which was really interesting so you never know what you'll end up with when you do something a little bit crazy. That wasn't very crazy. I didn't skydive or anything, but I did go where it said you cannot go and got pulled over by law enforcement. That's great. I'm sure that happens, not pulled over by law enforcement, but I'm sure that happens to you a lot with someone like stops you like, oh, I look in level five of lift and they like have like 12,000 questions. <laughs> yeah, people people are intrigued by, the, by self-driving cars and, and, and uh, yeah, so it's always fun to chat about that stuff. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. It was so many amazing insights. Welcome to Top Hat. This is the part of the podcast where we analyze the amazing conversation we just had for insights and learning so the people at home can get a little bit of a summary. So, Kev, what did you think of our conversation with Carrie? You know, I'm glad that we're bringing an engineer into the storytelling podcast because oftentimes in a, in a workplace, you have a story, but it is up to the technical roles, the technical people to bring those ideas into reality. And their perspectives on story and storytelling are very unique and important. One thing I took away is that Storytelling is not sufficient. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know we're doing a storytelling podcast here, right? Yeah. 
obviously, but I think Carrie's point that storytelling isn't everything. It, it is very important because it is an integral part to a creative process, but it is only one part. You can create a great illusion with story to tell, but after that, you still have to kind of realize that story in some、mm-hmm. way. So you you need to have design thinking. You need to bring the technical people on board. You need to bring everyone else on board, and you need to generate an actionable plan out of the story you created. No, I think that was so insightful as well.、Uh, that idea that how important collaboration is. It's not only. It's not just about storytelling. It's about story understanding as well. We talked about user stories and design thinking and taking the time to understand all these different people. And it branches into some another. My first learning is universal language. Carrie talked a lot about、um, taking technical concepts and bringing it down to universal language so that anyone from different fields can understand it. Because that's how you get buy-in as an engineer. That's how you move up in a company as an engineer. Because if you're just implementing, you're not going to grow, and you're not going to be able to create some really cool things. But if you learn how to tell stories, you're going to be able to create new things and explain them and get buy-in and get people excited about it. Because that is how you build innovations collaboratively, and that's how you move up in companies. Getting people excited about what you bring to the table. Thank you again, Kerry Nachtenberg, an amazing, amazing guest. A well-respected and very influential engineer, and it was so interesting to hear about how important these skills are to blossoming engineer careers, or really anything. So, this has been another episode of Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait! Follow us on social media. Follow and subscribe. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.